Well, can you believe that um, we're two weeks from Christmas Day? That's hard to believe, isn't it? Two weeks from Christmas Day. I just thought, no, we're getting a little bit closer, two weeks. I was absolutely amazed at this. Uh, I had to go across town yesterday, and then I had to come by the office and do some things, and I thought, you know, I need to go out on two nights and make a couple of stops, but I don't know, do I venture out on two nights on Saturday like this or not? And so I kind of crept up this way thinking if, if, uh, if it's real bad, I can cut through a uh, food line, turn around, and go back and go another way. I was absolutely amazed yesterday afternoon there was hardly any traffic on Two Nights Road. I guess maybe everybody's waiting until next Saturday. That would be the day to avoid Two Nights Road, okay? But since we are only about two weeks away and a lot of things yet to be done, I just want to share a few little tidbits with you as we look into the message today about a su- the surprise announcement of Christmas. We've been focusing on the, on the child of Christmas. And uh, we looked in Isaiah last week. This week we're looking at and Luke 1 with the announcement to Mary. But here's just some, some tidbits. You know, every year the United States produces, during Christmas time, enough candy canes to circle the earth six and a half times. Now, I don't know who in the world figures that out. How do they do that? They lay them out, all that, or whatever. Uh, typical American spends 40% more than they earn during the month of December. Yeah, I can identify with that, right? Okay. Not surprising that one-third of bankruptcies are filed in March uh, following the holiday spending. Um, in the Family Circus, one of my favorite little cartoons with the kids, four kids and all that, little Billy says, Mommy, maybe it would be easier if I made a list of what I don't want for Christmas. Maybe you can identify that with your children. Now, this is for some of us in the older age group. I thought maybe you might identify with this. I think this was actually in Mature Living magazine a couple of years ago. But a woman by the name of Nancy Shelton took her seven-year-old granddaughter, Gigi, uh, to a special showing of the original Miracle on 34th Street. How many of you have seen that? The original? Okay. What's unique about that original showing of Miracle on 34th Street? Is it in Cinerama? Is it in Technicolor or black and white? Okay. So you got to know that to go with the story. So they get throughout, they go there, they sit through the movie with her little uh, uh, seven-year-old granddaughter, and they get out, and the grandmother says, well, what did you think about it? She says, Grandma, I don't get it. And the grandmother said, what do you mean, you don't, you don't get what? And the little granddaughter said, was everything in the world gray like that when you were a kid? <laughs> well, certainly at Christmas it's not gray. Then there was, uh, there was Fred and his buddy out golfing, and... Um, and uh, his buddy says to him, Christmas is not far away. He said, um, you done any shopping yet? And he said, no. He said, well, doesn't your wife uh, normally get you something? She said, he said, oh, yeah, every year at Christmas she gives me the same thing. He said, what's that? And he said, a list of things she wants for Christmas. And then maybe you can identify with this dad who got so frustrated, he finally just wrapped up a package of batteries, gave it to the children with a note that said, toys not included. And then kind of as an introduction here into the message for today about this surprise announcement of Christmas, again from the classic family circus, Dolly holds up a new Christmas scooter, and she says, you know what, Santa always brings me something I wanted, but I forgot to ask for. Now, when we think about the original Christmas and what we celebrate every year during this marvelous season, that's the essence of what we're celebrating in it. 
We needed a Savior, but we didn't ask for that. But God knew at the same time that we wanted freedom from the power of sin, and so he gave us salvation through Christ. And we celebrate that during the Christmas season all the time. Now, we know what we do during the Christmas season about, about gifts. We, we battle between what we say are our needs and what we say are our wants. We might readily say, well, I need some new golf clubs or I need a larger television. But reality is those are just some things that we want. But Christmas is really about our needs, and the ultimate need is a need for a Savior. And God gave us the answer for our greatest need. That first Christmas when he gave to us his son, Jesus Christ our Savior. I want you to look with me today at our text from Luke chapter 1. And if you haven't read it lately and you read it, then you read it today, you might want to go back and read it again and then reread it again and then skip over and find a merry song that comes a little bit later on. It's an absolutely fantastic, to me, passage of Scripture about a startling announcement that should have scared the daylights out of this young teenage girl named Mary. But, but listen to how she takes everything in stride with this surprise announcement. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Logical question, wasn't it? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Oh, there's so much we can learn from this setting and from this scene. And Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Can you imagine Mary and and the startling announcement that comes to her? You know, the reality is that when we look at this story, this is really the story of how God always has responded and moved in the lives of people, and we can trace it all the way through the Bible. And it's the same way he still deals with us today, because he says in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. See, while we're looking back at this wonderful story of over 2,000 years ago, 
with God's surprise announcement to Mary from the angel Gabriel about uh, what he was going to do and provide for our greatest need and how he was going to do it and the role that Mary was going to play, then I think that there's some things that you and I need to look at and perhaps maybe hear for the first time something uh, in this story that might be a challenge to us and our faith and where we are. Because what could possibly be something that God might be wanting to do in, in your life during this Christmas season or prepare you for that he has in store for you to come or maybe even addressing the needs in the life of our church about what he might need to do and what he might want to do in our life. It's something of a surprise. So I think that there's some things that we need to carefully look at as we look at the scripture for today. Four things, I think, that just jump right out of the text. Number one, God chooses ordinary people for extraordinary kingdom events. Go back through your Bible and look at when God was going to do something extraordinary for the kingdom. Did he have somebody extraordinary prepared for that or did he just use somebody ordinary? The truth of it is, is that we're all ordinary people. And God uses us to bring about his extraordinary kingdom events. Nothing could point that out better than the story of the birth of Christ and the role that Mary played in this. God chose Mary, an, an ordinary teenage Jewish girl, to have the honor of being the mother of our Messiah. So what do we know about this Mary, this, uh, this extraordinary uh, uh, event person who was an ordinary young teenager? Well, general agreement is that Mary was by, uh, maybe between the ages of 12 and 15. In verse 27, Luke lets us know that Mary is sexually pure. She's a virgin. She's not had sexual relations. Then in verse 34, she brings up that same truth. Uh, when she's told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. We know through the story and what we know about the Christmas story, and remember that she is engaged or betrothed to Joseph. And that was much more deeper in level of commitment than engagement is today. You know, when you were engaged back then or betrothed, it meant that you were legally bound to that person. You perhaps had signed the marriage certificate. And you did everything but live together and consummate that marriage. You waited until the husband-to-be had the house ready for you to go and to move into. That basically was the waiting period. And if you decided you wanted to break off that engagement, you legally had to get a divorce to do that. So all of that's going through Mary at this point in time. Notice what Gabriel says to Mary twice. Twice he reminds her that she is favored. In verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored. In verse 30, you have found favor with God. Now, what does it mean that Mary was favored or had found favor with God? Well, the word there for favored literally means grace. Grace. And Gabriel is saying, Mary, you have been given grace by God. The Lord is with you. We don't have any reaction for Mary to say, well, why do I need this kind of grace? But that's what he has given to her. It's still the same unmerited favor. So here I think, if you can imagine this, Mary was probably a vibrant teenager schooled in her faith, anticipating her marriage to Joseph. When God in his sovereign will chose her 
and came and announced it to her through the angel Gabriel that she would be the mother of the Messiah. What a surprise announcement of the birth of this child. And her role in it was all because of the gift of grace. And when you go back and you trace through the Bible, when God is going to do something extraordinary, he chooses and prepares ordinary people for that part. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes and says, But God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I mean, you go back and think about a few of them. God chose a stuttering Moses who was a professional failure to lead his people out of bondage. He chose a little shepherd boy, David, to kill the giant and to become the king of the Israelites. He chose a nameless little boy with five loaves and two fish to feed the multitude starving on the hillside. And in Numbers 22, God even chose Balaam's donkey to deliver a message. Never ceases to amaze me. Every opportunity I have to proclaim the gospel that God would use me. Despite all my sins and my failures and my imperfections that God would choose me and call me to be a pastor. You know, it's just an absolutely marvelous thing that God lets us in on his kingdom activity. Go back and look at Mary. Here's what we need to understand from Mary's role in the birth of the Messiah. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary kingdom events. And I would suggest to you during this Christmas season, as you read the same story, as you sing the same carols and the same songs from the years past, and maybe as you carry on with the same traditions that you have for years, be open and sensitive to God. what God might have for you to do in the next major step in his kingdom event. I don't know what that might be. I don't know what it might be for you as an individual or what it might be for us as a church. But I think God is up to something. There are some things that are going on that show to me that God is up to some things And for us to be a part of that, we need to be sensitive to what he wants to do. You can't put it off and say, I'm not qualified, I'm not fit. If you're in a relationship with God, you've repented of your sins, you've confessed Christ as Savior, and you're living that relationship with God, you might be as extraordinary as 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 the guy down the street, but be sensitive to the fact that God just might be getting ready to use you to do something profound. He did with Mary. Now, here's the second thing that that leads to then. God proposes plans that are humanly impossible to fulfill. I mean, can you imagine Mary receiving this message? Hey, Mary, you found favor with God. He's graced you. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. That had to be mind-boggling. And yet Mary had her wits about her enough to know that logically, logically, that announcement from God was humanly impossible. So he just very simply says, ask in verse 34, how will this be? Oh, I think it wasn't that kind of way. She said, how will this be? That's the way I think Mary was. I think she was so down to earth with this. It wasn't a frantic, how is this going to be? But how will this be? 
She's got a head on her shoulders. That's probably why she was chosen. And I think here's where we need to understand this. That, that when we look at that question a little bit later on, we have to also remember now that we focus on what is humanly impossible and how it plays in the plan of God. What was it? What well, was to bring the Messiah into the world? For God to become flesh and live in this world. And Gabriel shares God's five-fold plan of redemption. He says he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, I think it's pretty common that when parents are expecting a, a child and the wonder of giving birth to a child and bringing a child into the world. You know, we had that privilege four times. And then we've watched our children bring nine grandchildren into the world. And we're expecting our tenth one. You know, we often wonder, well, what will they be like? What will they do? What will they accomplish? Right now, our daughter Sarah Lynn and her husband, uh, Doc, are expecting their second child. They're told that this child is a boy and will be born in, in March and will be a perfect companion to go along with their two-year-old daughter, Landry Nell. And so I keep thinking this, okay, Doc, the son-in-law Doc, he was a... a, a very, very outstanding in the state of Louisiana. Three-star sport in his high school days. Baseball, football, basketball. He ultimately chose to play, uh, out of his offers, he ultimately chose to play football at Liberty because it was a full ride. I said, why did you choose to go to Liberty out of the offers? He said, I wanted to get out of the state of Louisiana and be as far away from it as I could. So now, as he is expecting a boy, I'm wondering, and maybe Doc is too, is this boy going to have the same athletic ability as did his dad? We don't know. But we wait to see what God is going to, to do. Then look, look, at what, look at what the announcement, though, goes on to say about this child, the Messiah, that leaves no doubt about what he's going to be like. His name will be Jesus, and that simply means Yahweh saves. I don't know how many babies were born on a regular basis back then, but my research today tells me that I think every year in the United States, four million babies are birthed. And there's some interesting names. In fact, uh, every year there comes out a list of the top uh, however many, 50 or so baby names for that year. It also happens for 2016. The top 10 baby names for girls are Sophia, Emma, Olivia, Ava, Mia, Isabella, Riley, Aria, Zoe, and Charlotte. For the guys, it's Jackson, Aiden, Lucas, Liam, Noah, Ethan, Mason, Caden, Oliver, and Elijah. I find it interesting, though, that the name Jesus is the name that is always the name above all names and the sweetest name that I know. He would be called Jesus because Yahweh saves. Gabriel goes on to say, then, he will be great. I think it's at that point, it's just a simple fact that words fail to explain the greatness of Jesus. So all Gabriel can say is he just leaves it at that profound truth. He will be great. Then he says he will be called the Son of the Most High. That's another way of saying he will be called Son of God. And he will occupy the throne of his father David. That's a future fulfillment that, of what he will do. And it's also confirmed in the fact that he will reign over the house of Jacob. And that, too, is a future event, that, that he will literally reign on the throne 
over the people of God, the nation of Israel. Now, those are some awesome plans, some God-awesome plans, are they not? But that's the way he works. God specializes in God-sized plans that are totally beyond the scope of human ability. And that's one of the ways I think we can recognize when God is about to do something in our lives individually or perhaps in the life of our church that maybe he's never done before. It's something outside of the routine. It causes us to have an extra measure of faith, an ability to see what God is doing and have the faith to respond to that. You see, whatever it is, it takes the eyes of faith and a heart of commitment to begin to understand that what God wants to do is humanly impossible. So I think the problem that a lot of us have in our walk with God is that we've never really moved beyond the realm of what we can do and compare it to what we do in God's strength. Sometimes we just think, well, well, here I am, I'm pretty ordinary. I've never done anything extraordinary, and you know what? It's pretty safe staying where I am. I'm not going to compare that to a whole lot of challenges in the life of our church. A lot of different things that, that, that we need to be about doing, and God wants to do through this church, but you've got to get on board with him. And you've got to trust him for what he wants to do. Uh, there are probably things in your life that maybe you're beginning to get a hint of that God wants to do this in your life and use you to do this, but it's going to call for another measure of faith and for you to step up. So it takes the eyes of faith. And the problem I think with many of us is in our spirits with God and our walk with God that we've never moved beyond the realm of when we made that profession of faith in him And we just kind of settled that, and we left it there because it's a lot safer there. Think about what goes on in the business world today. There are people who are commended every day because they're willing to risk new ideas and methods. They're called people who are willing to be change factors. They, They color outside the lines, and even that might be becoming cliche and old. They are people who are willing to stir the pot. Compared to those who say in their dying words, well, we've never done it that way before, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We like things the way they are. I like things the way they are. It's pretty comfortable. But the reality is it's the character of God to do totally new and unique things. In Isaiah 43, 19, God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? Okay, what is a new thing? Well, my goodness, think about the Christmas story. I don't care how many times you've heard it. A virgin conceived and gave birth to the Messiah, God in the flesh. That's something new. That's something totally different and radical. I don't know what God might have in store for your life. I think I have some hint as to what he has in store for this church, if we're willing to move beyond where we are and see God do these new things and trust him with that. And know that we can't do it on our own, but it's his power that allows it to take place. 
And that leads simply to the third observation from this announcement. And it's this, that God provides his power to accomplish what is impossible without him. We go back to Mary's question. How can this be? She asked in verse 34. Now imagine this, okay, young ladies. You're 13 and a half years old. You're a virgin. And Gabriel says, you're going to have a child. And it's going to be the Messiah, the Son of God. How do you respond? What's your first question? You don't say, well, do I go with natural childbirth or not? Do I use cloth diapers or do I use disposable? How long do I want my mother to stay and how long do I want my mother-in-law to stay? Mary didn't deal with those issues, right? He just responds very, very, very simply. How can this be? You see, the wrong question to ask when God's up to doing something profound is why? Have you ever noticed that that's the question we always want to ask? Why? You see, Mary could have whined and said, why me, Lord? <laughs> you know, I've just come of age. My, my childhood sweetheart is my in, 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 in fiancé. Joseph and I are planning to be married. And now you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to be a single woman who's pregnant and the social stigma and all that's going to be involved with that. Mary could have said, I don't need this in my life. Has God ever done something in your life, brought it into your life, and you've said, God, you know, I really don't need this in my life? Well, Mary could have said that. When, when, when um, I began work on Two from Galilee, I asked Rick, I said, Rick, you ever read the story about Margaret Holmes, Two from Galilee? And he said, well, I've kind of been through it, right? And I said, I have, I have not. I've seen the book, but I never bothered to read it. I think it was written in 1972. She's got another one out called Three from Galilee that came out a couple of years after that one. So Rick got us two copies of the book, Two from Galilee. How many of you have read that? You read that story? Anybody familiar? I, so we read it. I read it. And I think Marjorie Holmes does a fantastic job of taking the truth of the Scripture and interweaving it with what had to be all of the human emotions at play and the societal stigma on Mary and Joseph during that time and how they held together during that time. I think it's a fantastic story. I'm looking forward to seeing it tonight, twice. And then, of course, uh, when, when we heard uh, Isaac and Mary Joy sing in all today is that um, they just simply had, a, they, they just had the basis of what they wanted and was a simple life. That's all they wanted. And God comes and intervenes and has something else for them. God has other plans. And so Mary's right when she asks the question, how's this going to be? And Gabriel gives Mary two kinds of information. First, he gives her a personal word about her situation. And then he gives her and us a general statement about God's power. See, Mary is understandably perplexed about how she's going to have a child when she is a virgin. And Gabriel reveals a little background to that mystery. Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean when Gabriel says, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will give birth to a child? I pondered that for a long, long time. And I, the best I can figure out in my research even this week is, is that the word overshadow there is very beautiful. It pictures exactly what it means, a shadow moving over you. You can't feel it. You can't touch it. You can see it and you know when you're in the shade when a shadow moves over you. 
So what does that have to do with this miraculous thing God is doing in Mary? Go back to Genesis 1, 2 through 3. When God created the universe, it says, Then the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And literally what was void and dark, in the Hebrew, God says, Light be, and there was light. And so much in the same way, then, I think, as the Holy Spirit of God would hover over Mary... And the Holy Spirit of God would say, life be. And deep within the reproductive system of Mary, an ovum would come to life. I think every conception and birth is a miracle. But this was an ultimate mega miracle. Do you agree? See, but Gabriel also gives Mary a general explanation. Nothing is impossible with God. That's a good point in the story to push the pause button and look at your life. Is there something in your life right now that you sense is God's plan, but you're clueless as how it's going to happen? I got to thinking about this. Actually, walking through the consignment store over here, roundabouts, looking at some Christmas stuff, and there was a snow globe. And I hadn't, had, I hadn't picked one up and given it a good shake in a long time. You know what happens when you do that, right? You know, all that stuff is settled. And when you take it and you shake it like that, you know, all that stuff goes flying in there. And that's what it's supposed to do. A lot of us are like that snow globe when it's just sitting there and sedimentary and everything is just settled. And what we might need to do this Christmas is, is to do our faith like you might do a snow globe. Pick it up and give it a good shake and see what's going on in there and stirring around in there. Because God just might be up to something and reveal something to you that you've never seen before and never been challenged to do. And so what's Mary's response to all of this? I think she's, I mean, she's not dumbfounded, but she is just absolutely down to earth. When all of this comes through, she simply says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done, as you said. Mary says yes. She says yes to the wonderful plan that God has for her life. What is the plan God has for your life? I can tell you the general. He, he wants you to be free from your sin. He wants you to know salvation. He wants you to experience the joy of living in a relationship with him. He wants you to be prepared for death so that you can live for all eternity with him. Now beyond that, I can't tell you what God has in store for your life. That's where you grow in that relationship. That's where every now and then you shake up the snow globe and see what God's going to reveal to you once you just move past what's evidently sedimentary and routine and regular in your life. You might say, well, I've heard this Christmas story so many times. You know, and there's nothing that rings true. And there's nothing exciting about it. Try this. Be a pastor for 41 years and have to preach the Christmas story four or five times every December. You're going to struggle to find some new things in there. What's different? What's unique? I think we find in this a surprise announcement to Mary. And so I think what the ultimate message today is, is in this gift of the Messiah is that God wants to be at work in your life so that you will respond. And the best way that I can say that to you is, is that I know that he wants you to know him as Savior. And probably most of you in here have made that decision, but others of you perhaps are still struggling really to know what it means to be saved. So I want to go deep back into the files and share a story with you written by Irma Bombeck. And you remember Irma Bombeck? A very witty woman. 
that I think died maybe prematurely at age 69 in 1996. But here's an article she wrote. Uh, and obviously, it's around Christmas time, and it's in a post office. And so just listen to the story. Norma says, most of us have never seen anyone smile in the post office. The post office instead is like a clinic for lower back pain. Well, I was in line yesterday when the door opened and then walked a lady with a big smile on her face, weighted down with boxes for mailing. She held the door open for three little girls who filed in, each carrying a package. It was quite obvious that they had never seen the inside of a post office. She bounded over to a man standing over a counter pasting stamps, and she asked, Are you a carrier? And he said, Of what? <laughs> Another one in line growled, To the back of the line, lady. And her eyes fairly danced with excitement as she announced to no one in particular, it certainly is a nice day. And just think, girls, Christmas is only one week away. Will Granddad get his presents, asked one child. Of course he will, said the mother. We've got it all timed right. On Christmas Eve, he'll be sitting around the fire. The doorbell will ring. A postman will knock and say with a big smile, Merry Christmas from your family in Arizona. Every eye in the post office turned to stare at this cross between Mary Poppins and Tiny Tim. Look, girls, doesn't the post office look like Santa is on his way? We all looked around. And with the exception of Santa pointing his finger at us from a poster and warning mail early this year, the place had the spirit of a recovery room. Finally, she got to the head of the line. When will Dad get these packages? And the postal clerk shrugged, depends, maybe by New Year's, or we could get them there in one day. One day would be fine, she exclaimed. It'll cost you, the guy says, and he does some scribbling, and he says it'll be $45.83. Well, the woman hesitated for just a moment, then she picked out one box and said, this one must get there by Christmas, it's my father's birthday. The clerk shook his head and he said, boy, imagine having a birthday on Christmas. One present fits all. Thank God I don't know of anyone born on Christmas Day. And the man behind me whispered loudly, thank God I do. And I'll tell you that story from Irma Bombeck from long ago, simply to ask you this question. Do you know the one who was born on Christmas Day? Have you said yes to him with whatever it is he wants and needs to do in your life? Mary did. You can too. Father, we rejoice in this wonderful season. We're awed by the startling announcement, and maybe even more so, we're awed by how Mary took it all in and how she responded. Father, help us during this season to go through this familiar story once again, but with, with new eyes and to see something in here that we've never caught before, and to be open to what you want to do in our life, what new and impossible thing without your presence. Help us to be like Mary and say yes by saying I am your servant. Father, move in this place now and have your will as decisions are made for your will.
in Christ's name.